John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed Omnibus Addenda Volume 22, Bentedos, Entry 414.GE1107, Certificate Number 29469, English as she is spoke. Uh, this is going all the way back, but Jen uh, read something online that she thought we would want us to see in keeping with the theme of... Uh, awkward translation in that show. Uh, apparently someone, I don't know, is this going to be bogus or not, or is this true? Someone claims, allegedly, has translated a text from English into Aramaic and back into English. And this is how it goes. There was one who said unto me that the universe was going to cause me to tremble, that I am not the sharpest cutting implement in the storehouse. You may have caught on, this is uh, actually All Star by Smash Mouth. Yeah. There, I like it better. There was one who said unto me that the universe was going to cause me to tremble. It doesn't rhyme. She, no. ha, she had the appearance unto me as a stupid one with her finger and her thumb in the frame of a Greek gamma upon her forehead. Skipping to the chorus. Behold, currently, you are a star child. Begin your power. Go, laugh. Behold, currently, you are a master of the music. Begin your singing. Acquire your wages. I hope this is true because it is actually maintaining enough of the meaning that you would, the translation does seem to be working. It's just kind of bringing into play some of the layers and biases of the language is involved, which Behold, is currently, you you're a star child. You're a, what was the begin, next? Begin your power. Begin your power. Go laugh. <laughs> I feel like I should take all uh, my lyrics, run them through an Aramaic reverse translation, and then write a whole new set of albums I still will be able to, I, I, I'll stand behind any of my words. You should do once for each language. This can be like, this can be a Sufjan Stevens-like project for you. Yeah. Where you do this for every language of, on earth. Call each, call each record by the language that I translated it through. Jen requests that you actually read these letters. I didn't notice this. That you read these letters in your browned butter voice. And then the mild smile emoji. What would you say your browned butter voice is? Is it just the regular voice? I think or it's probably. Do I have a more browned butter voice? When I get really soft and like ASMR about it, is this more browned butter or less? So repeat after me. A great amount to do, a great amount to see. Am I doing this as a song or just as a brown butter? I think you're just doing a dramatic reading. Like, great, on, like on your OnlyFans. A great amount. To, what is it again? A great amount to do, a great amount to see. A great amount to do, a great amount to see. 
Therefore, there is no difficult problem if we take the streets of the backside. Therefore, there is no difficult problem if we take the streets of the backside. You will not know if you do not go. You will not know if you do not go. You will not shine if you do not glow. You will not shine if you do not glow. This all sounds like something Spock would say. Hey, now. Yeah, it's true. I think that's true. I think your Katra is now in my head. <laughs> Entry 423.JB3104. Certificate number 32655. Erdos Bacon Sabbath. I think this has also come up in the addenda before, but we got a very kind offer from Ryan, who is a listener who is also a scientist at a U.S. nuclear weapons lab in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Go on. I think I can narrow it down. He was in the... <laughs> <laughs> to which one of those it he is? He says he was in the process of turning into the Hulk as he wrote this. Yeah, so that, that was happens. that was nice that we got his last his last note. No, he doesn't say that, but he, he will... Almost certainly turn into a gamma monster. It's just that it's it's one of the one of the things that qualifies you for early retirement. It's one of the perks of uh, of his workplace, I think. Um, he uh, because he's published multiple, you know, mathematics and theory adjacent journal articles. He investigated his own Erdős number and was happy to find out it's at least five. Um, he, he just looked up his most well done his most prestigious collaborator. And or sorry, collaborator of a collaborator, and found out that this Nobel laureate, Walter Cohn, chemistry, nineteen ninety eight, has a Erdős number of three. So Ryan's can be no less certainly. Ryan has co-authored no a paper five. with him. Uh, no, friend of a co-author of a co-author of. Him. I see. I see. Okay. It's interesting that he knew not just his most prestigious co-author, but his most prestigious co-author's co-author. Sure, I bet that's how they talk at Sandia National Labs. Until again, until hey, the ga- who, until until the gamma rays hit you. Who was your most pr- prominent co-authors, co-authors, co-author? Um, so, I, what is the offer here from Ryan? He still tries to publish peer-reviewed journal articles, even though he's now managing, uh, you know, gamma bomb experiments. Sure, if you can't do teach. <laughs> Hey, you're talking about Ryan, Erdős number five. If you can't teach, manage. If you can't teach, if you don't know. Uh, And he would be happy to publish with us. Okay. He can offer collaboration on papers related to shock physics, explosives, or nanoscience. And he has a colleague of mine who's an editor-in-chief who I I guess he's implying who will look the other way if we want to publish something a little less rigorous. Well, come on. Uh, I'm a little worried about this whole thing. Yeah. He's just willing to slap our names on some nanoscience? Well, so on my Patreon, there was quite a long discussion about this uh, because there are a lot of scientists that listen to the show and a lot of... A lot of evil scientists. A lot of evil scientists. A lot of evil evil weapons labs people. A a lot more scientists than movie stars and rock stars, I have to say. There were quite a few... You weren't getting Kevin Bacon offers? No. Well, there were... I mean, I don't need a Bacon number. I've got a pretty hot one. Because you, you're in your uh, documentary about, <laughs> about Paul yeah, McCartney. Right, along with Kevin Bacon or whoever. But um, no, I was just surprised at the number of scientists who you know were able to kind of trace down their Bacon number. The problem was how many of them could I legitimately claim to co-author a paper with? Because I don't want to fake – I don't want a fake uh, Erdos number. You know, the other day you sent me a, a picture of the wrapping that your Emmy Award came in. 
Well, it was because I knew you had a negative space Grammy, right? Didn't Amy Mann give you the, the chocolate shell that her, her Grammy came in? Yeah, but the thing about the negative space Grammy was that I earned it because I co-wrote a song on that record. Yeah. But your negative space Emmy, although I desperately want it, uh, because I'm I'm trying to collect a negative space EGOT. <laughs> a, to- um, a togi, if but you I, will. But I, don't, but I don't want your negative space uh, Emmy because I didn't do anything to earn it. What uh, what what role did I play in you? you were, well, I mean, honestly, what role did you play role? in winning that Emmy? <laughs> I'll have you know I'm a consulting producer on Best, on best uh, Daytime Game Show, Jeopardy. Yeah. Uh, well, you were in the studio audience once. Yeah, but does that really? I mean, a negative space Emmy has to at least have one half of the well, qualifications of a real Emmy. Well, look, give me a tip that you would like me to carry as part of my Jeopardy consultancy up to my bosses. And then if Jeopardy wins another Emmy this year, you can feel you have contributed. If Jeopardy wins another Emmy, that's a mighty big if. It wins a roughly half the time. If you look over history, it'll be like Jeopardy, 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 the feud. Jeopardy, Jeopardy, Price is Right. Jeopardy, Jeopardy, Je-. you know, it's unless something, uh, Cash Cab had a weird run. In the, yeah. in the early 2000s. Except for that, Jeopardy is kind of the default, a, a presumptive winner. So why doesn't Jeopardy win primetime Emmys? Didn't, oh, didn't the GOAT win a primetime Emmy? What a great show that was. Oddly, the GOAT was considered in the daytime category because it was a spinoff of a, of a syndicated quiz show. And syndicated game shows are grouped with soap uh, operas? daytime TV. Soap, soaps, talk shows, and so forth. Hmm. That's just how, that's, that's Emmy Town, Jake. <laughs> I'll leave it to uh, Futurelings to decide whether or not your negative space Emmy, if it's still on offer, can it's, can it, take a place of pride next to my negative space Grammy. It's also just styrofoam. I don't know what a negative Grammy is, is looks like, but when I pulled off the um, the kind of the silken wrapping that, yeah. that, that was the bed for my daytime Emmy, uh, it was just a, a, a piece of styrofoam shaped like the outline of an Emmy. Well, that's all it all it takes. I mean, they're just that's going, all you want. You're happy with that? Yeah, I just need to find somebody that's got a negative space Oscar. It comes in a chest that's just nice enough that I don't want to throw it away. Yeah, but cl- what are you going to do with it? But yeah, but not nice enough to actually keep. So, can you take the styrofoam out, put the Emmy in the chest, and display it as an Emmy in a chest? I guess I could, but that's not a, that's an unusual way to display an award. Half in and half out of its own sticking out of a sarcophagus. Box. Yeah, usually it's just sitting on a mantle or something. Yeah. What are you going to do? You're going to be the cool guy and put it in your bathroom, or are you going to? But people like the bathroom because then you can pose with it in the mirror. The problem is that works best with an Oscar, where people actually have fantasies of of holding it aloft or cradling it. No one has a fantasy of what they would do with a daytime Emmy, unless you're just some kind of weird pervert. Hmm, I wonder about that. You've imagined what you would do with a spiky Emmy. I. You know the Emmy is of the of the four awards. It's e- it's even plausible I would have won a Grammy. Sure, it's maybe less plausible, but maybe they did a musical about uh, using the music of the Long Winners, and I would have won a Tony. You think there's going to be a jukebox Long Winners musical? There could have been a Long Winners song used in a film that won an Oscar, but there's no Emmy really, that I could have won, except, I don't know, as a guest star on a TV. Every once in a while you see something where it's like, oh, Jerry right. Seinfeld won an Emmy because he did a walk-on on Friends or something. I'm always wondering, who gets nominated for those? Like a three-minute-long appearance in a sitcom, and you get an Emmy for it. That feels unfair. Maybe variety shows will come back. Yeah. And it'll be you and uh, 
the Mandrell sisters or, or well, Glenn Campbell's ghost or I something. I see what you're saying. Uh, I think it's more likely that you get the Jeopardy hosting job and then you hire me in some capacity. But you keep, I keep suggesting it and you keep, you keep texting me, lol, yeah, which isn't a, encouraging. Do, do you not, are you not uh, familiar with the Jeopardy format? The, he, the Jeopardy host of Jeopardy does not hire a, a sidekick, an Ed McMahon type. Who knows? I mean, it's, you could reinvent the show. Get a, you know, you hire a guy that sits on a chair and goes, ha, 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 yes. <laughs> what is Romania? What do you think of that, John? <laughs> or like a music, uh, like a, like a band leader. Yeah. We go, over there. When we go to commercial. You're just like noodling on a guitar on the side of the, or you play the, you play the, um, you play the think music live during Final Jeopardy, and you you kind of solo a bit on a hard one, so the contestants have longer to write. You, you can go into like a two and a half minute jam if it's a very hard question, and you feel like they need help going through the presidents in their head. See, Jeopardy is always trying to expand their their viewership. Clearly, because they, it's clear they like nothing more than servicing their fans. Do you feel like they could get older white people to watch if we were on? I'm sure I, that's what they need. You know, I feel like what they need is a little rock and roll. There was rock and roll Jeopardy. Mark McGrath was very good at it. Oh, he's a smart guy, apparently. He is. Puka uh, shell necklace. <laughs> despite the puka shell necklace. <laughs> uh, so you feel it would be stolen valor, if much like the negative Emmy, if you were to take up Ryan on his offer to, to just slap your name on... Maybe, no. maybe you'd have some contributions. No, I think that you and I are just exactly smart enough that we could, as lay people, contribute to a scientific paper and not have it be embarrassing as long as it is approached as not a goof, but really a real thing. It just is, it's all in the approach. I think, if, the, I think if we are both on it, it is by definition a goof. But what are the odds that I needed both the hosts of this podcast to consult on this paper? But there are so many math and science papers that are totally ridiculous goofs and presented 100% seriously. Maybe we're the opposite. It's a totally uh, goofy one, but it's actually great science. I feel like I would be very helpful just maybe I could do a line edit on the on the paper and I could say uh, – Actually, it's 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 radius's apostrophe s. Uh-huh. The, the, the possessive is not radius apostrophe. Maybe I could do the thing where because I'm tall, it is presumed that I'd be a good CEO and also a good scientist. Cool callback to a show that will air in mid October. <laughs> Entry one four four eight dot de zero two two seven. Certificate number three six four six zero. Wuppertal Schwebebahn. Well, first of all, I just want to note that I have been on the Schwebebahn now since that entry originally entered the time capsule. Yeah, it was great. You sent me a picture of yourself on the Schwebebahn, and I was like, once again, Ken gets to the Schwebebahn before me. It was pretty far. Like, we drove a couple hours on a rainy day just to go on the Schwebebahn, but, like, my in-laws were so excited because, like, they've lived in Germany. Off, We're visiting my in-laws in Germany. They've lived there off and on their whole lives. They do not want to go to Heidelberg for the 30th time. Right. but And they'd never been to the Schwebebahn? I believe they had – either they had never ridden on it or it had literally been decades. And they were like, yes, it's only running on weekends. Let's go on the Schwebebahn. It, it was right after those floods in Western Germany. Oh, yeah. So the, the Vooper itself was really vooping it up. You know, yeah. like all, all the rivers were just – you know, you could tell by looking down that trees were knocked over. And I mean, this was not a place that had had a dangerous flood, although some cities just got leveled. Um, but, you know, clearly – the river was at its highest point that it ever got to. 
and we were sailing above it merrily. And the Schwebebahn is only operating on weekends now as a as as a what? I, I believe it is not pandemic related. I believe it's maintenance related. Um, They're not using it as public transportation anymore. It has become a Seattle monorail. That goes just from one place to another <laughs> on on weekends for goofballs for tourists. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it does cover a lot of ground. It goes it goes miles. Did you go the distance? Uh, we did. We went end to end, and I think then we on the way back we actually got off in the middle and kind of walked through town so we could see the um, the statue of Tufi. Is that the name mm-hmm. of the elephant? Tufi, yeah, saw the statue of Tufi the elephant. Well, that's great. And how did your did your kids go along merrily, or were they grousing the whole? No, time? they like they like weird transit. Oh, good. And good, good, uh, good. I'm sure we bought them a pretzel or something, so sure. so they can shut the hell up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we also got a note from Steve, a uh, native, a uh, Boston native, who pointed out. Uh, I think this has recently been on a, a different podcast, but he sent us a well, link. Why does it matter? <laughs> he sent us a link by, I believe, the. The, that that podcaster who published in the Boston Globe an article about an experimental monorail that ran in Cambridge, Massachusetts from 1884 to 1894. What? Isn't this insane? It, it I don't know if this picture of it is accurate, but it looks like a made-up steampunk thing with a guy in a, in a top hat and a Jules Verne outfit, you know, driving this weird cylindrical steam conveyance on a single track above... Uh, horse carriages from one end of Cambridge to the other in 1880s Boston. Uh, let me see. I mean, it was a brief experimental thing. There was a, a shed that had a, a steam locomotive and a tender on a passenger car with this weird tubular design and these kind of tilted wheels facing inward uh, on a single track. There, there looked like there's two stacked tracks. A single iron track exited the shed, turned left in a tight half circle. And uh, went along at ground level for 300 feet, then climbed up onto a, a elevated section that crossed the street, and then stopped on the other side of the street in what is now a Holiday Inn parking lot. <laughs> so it appears to be like maybe one guy's weird, uh, you know, like, attempt at a business idea. This is his wouldn't startup. this be cool? And what if you just give me a little cash, I can extend it over the, over the river? Yeah, I, I don't know if he's necessarily an eccentric as a, a businessman. His backer is actually Benjamin Butler, a former Union general who has been an omnibus mm-hmm. mentioned before. I think he was, I, I believe, he was one of the 19th century luminaries. Uh, who was romancing America's Joan of Arc, if I remember correctly. But, you know, this is a, this is a guy who found wealthy people and said, hey, um, let's, let's have my weird cylinder elevated train. Uh, it's funny that— ran out of money by the 1890s, unfortunately. Then, and obviously, streetcars, the, street, the existing streetcar interests, you know, in, in a who-framed-Roger-Rabbit kind of a way, did not want him to succeed. There are only two American cities that have monorails— we're in half of them. That's right. Seattle and Las Vegas. Oh, that new one that runs along the Strip. Yeah. Uh, but, Don't think I've ever been on it. Cambridge could have been the third, or in this case, the first. But once again, nothing going on in Cambridge, am I right? We also got a note from Matthias, who is annoyed with me in particular. He's probably from Germany. With he a name is like German, that. and I, I think I made a joke about the lack of romance in the modern German soul. Oh. And I believe, in my opinion, I would have added some, I'm not going to go back and listen. And who, who really cares? Who, who cares what the tape reveals? Germans. In my heart, I'm, I'm sure I would have put in a parenthetical about, of course, this is the nation of Goethe and 
you know, romanticism was born with German Sturm and Drang, right? Yeah, Sturm. German Sturm. You got the Sturm? Mm-hmm. You got the Drang. You got the Drang. Between the two, you have a, a sense of yearning for ruined castles on the Rhine. and yeah, uh, you got Goethe up uh, walking the Rennsteig, kicking stones. Then it gets revi- revived into crazy um, Ludwig fairy tale gingerbread castles and at its worst. Sure. We don't have to go all that way. Wagnerian, well. Yeah, Tristan and Isolde. But, al- but also, you know. Our Aryan folklore. Oh, right, right, right. Of course. That again. That, that legacy. Thing. But so what does uh, Matthias or Matthias have to say about he it? He just wants to go through his nation's romantic bona fides and say, oh. listen, we can we can weep into our, our, our beers as, sure. as, as well as any nation on earth. We play, we play the violin here, or we, at least uh, compose music for it. We've got Friedrich and Rilke, and you can F off. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's, you know, he's not wrong, but wh- why do you think it is? I mean, is World War II the yawning gulf? And on the other side of it, we just think of Germans as um, as kind of austere technocrats? No, they were austere technocrats long before yeah, World War II. They're, they're, they're Prussians. No, I mean, it, you know, of course we do not ascribe um, characteristics to, you know, like like personality characteristics to whole races of people. Except in the case of the Germans, where it's perfectly acceptable to do so. Well, when I went on my trip, also there, the Irish are a bunch of weepy alcoholics, but the Germans <laughs> in particular are uh, are all are all watchmakers. I could not I could not believe how well people were observing the COVID etiquette there, which is always mask up everywhere indoors, always unmask everywhere outdoors, and people would just do it immediately and automatically as they pass through any doorway or or, or other uh, liminal space, and you realize, yes, the Germans as we always say, are very good at following orders. Yes. They will do what they are told, and it's uh, in a pandemic. That's fantastic. Yes. But, you know, romanticism is backward-looking, and today yes. we, we think of Germans as uh, as forward-thinking, perhaps, again, because of that, that hiatal period in their, in their recent history. Uh, they seem to be a nation of... Technologists. Of the future and technologists and... and growth. Yeah, lots of wind power and solar power there, a lot of muesli, uh, <laughs> which is the food, food of the future. Good for the digestion. Along with dots, the uh, the ice cream of the future. They use a 24-hour clock. They're not, you know, they have 1,700 hours there, which is very austere. Right. <laughs> right. Forward thinking. You know, I'm they, have, not, they have a monorail off that's upside down. I'm not sure where it started. Uh, there's a sort of fastidiousness to their mustaches going back to, I mean, uh, to Charlemagne. It just goes back to the militaristic Prussian rigor, right? That, that, that there's that interplaying with the, with the yearning of the, of the weepy Sergeant Schultz's to their South. Yeah. But you think about the, um, well, certainly the Swiss are just as humorless, and they have as much Italian and French uh, romantic blood in them. But they somehow the Swiss, the Austrians, they are the all thin air. Maybe they yeah. don't. They don't have enough. Uh, they don't have enough oxygen to to really make out passionately. We're with the, anything our or German anyone. fans are just rejoicing in this much uh, airtime devoted to their natures. But what did the Romans think of the Germans? That's where we get down to the brass tacks. Well, they thought they were uh, hopeless barbarians, right? They were forest dwellers with, Ho- with big battle axes. Hopeless barbarians and forest dwellers, but also and there was a lot of Roman respect for the Germanic tribes, but they were not thought of as great merry like lovers. 
They were all they were all uh, warlike chieftains with no sense of humor. Did Rome know of and, and enjoy their? Um, I mean, their 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 northern gods are perhaps have a romantic element to them because they're full of, you know, their gods are always uh, what zapping one another with lightning and. Is that romantic though? It's romantic in the capital R sense of of. Uh, Mighty emotions and and uh, wind oh, and, and operas. If it, in my experience, when you are in Northern Europe and you go into a Christian church, all of the renditions of Jesus tend to be made out of aluminum, and he and he looks more like a um, robot. Uh, not a robot. He looks like a mannequin, like a death, ro- like a murder robot. Jesus oh, does. like a like a Boston Dynamics. Yeah, like robot. a. He's going to come off that cross, and you're in trouble. Right. Whereas if you go to if you go to Rome, Jesus is really he's passionate. He's he's pretty, anguished. He's pretty anguished. His yeah. face is a is a permanent grimace. If you go to southern Spain, boy, Jesus is really in trouble down there. He's got you know he's covered with blood and thorns. You're not going to see one of those in a German church. Well, maybe in the South, right? In the Southern Bavaria. I, I don't want to get into this latitude. geographic latitude. It's all latitude to you, John. Issue, I see but, how it is. But yeah, no, the Germans are lovely people. I really, I adore, <laughs> I adore their nation. They're all great people. And well, you know, I was thinking about their, you know, filmmakers, like Wenders and Herzog, are are, are poetic souls. You know, uh, anguished souls. Well, yeah, but they're not. You don't think of them as lovers. Capital R romantic. You don't want to hug Werner Herzog. That's not what a romantic is. And also, I kind of do. Mm. Entry 815.2S0523. Certificate number 26780. Mulberry Mania. This is just a very brief note from uh, Dane, our friend formerly of the Henry Ford Museum, who is annoyed that we referred to the state of Kentucky. Oh, it's a Commonwealth. Because on the forthcoming show, we will actually, we will go over this. Yeah, yeah. There's an uh, there's an episode where we talk about these pretentious states that think they're Commonwealths. Yeah, I was just in Kentucky, the Commonwealth of Kentucky, the Commonwealth of Kentucky, and its Commonwealthitude uh, came up in. I'm sh- I assume when you cross the border, it says "Welcome to the Commonwealth of Kentucky." Does it not? Uh, yeah, this came up because we were. Um, I was in Kentucky. I was staying in Paducah. The great city of Paducah, Kentucky, which is part of an area of Kentucky called the um, the Jackson Purchase, which okay. is part of Kentucky that isn't even part of Kentucky. It's a different. It's some other thing. Is that Andrew Jackson? Andrew Jackson. He, a different. He, he bought Kentucky a, a nice little. Uh, he, he, he added on to Kentucky. He added on to Kentucky. Well, he thought, yeah. he thought they needed a sun porch. There's a different. There's this part of. There's this part of Kentucky that's down around, uh, you know, it's like basically what it is. is it's Isn't that little thing that sticks down off the southern edge? Yeah. Like Kentucky's like, supposed to be flat, but then it's got a little a waddle or, or, or droop. A little waddle. It's the, it's where the, it's kind of the area where the Ohio and the Tennessee River and the Mississippi all kind of collide. I can picture this. And uh, it's got, yeah, it's, it's basically like Northwest Tennessee, but um but in the process of trying to figure out, so so in Kentucky there are uh, there are different kinds of towns and uh, different like there's different ratings of towns. 
This is not a thing that we have here in Washington. Just based on how good they are. Yeah, there are. Um, if you go to Walmart, you're a you're a three star Kentucky town. Yeah, there's like uh, there's basically like um, what are what are they called? It's like they're home rule towns or something like that. What? Um, yeah, they've got. If you have a Waffle House, you're a home rule town. <laughs> there's only two towns, so it's. Louisville and Lexington are first class cities. They sure are. And then and then every other town in in Kentucky is called a home rule town slash city. Okay. Um I don't know if there's anything smaller than Lexington that would that would be qualif- that would qualify as a city in any other state of the union. But, and, and what does this have to do with commonwealthitude? Oh, well if you're going to if you're going to have a if you're gonna, well, all all by which, uh, all by way of saying that Kentucky is a really weird little. <laughs> In short, Kentucky is a land of contrast. <laughs> <laughs> they play by their own rules down there. Although their flag is a square, it's not like that dumb Ohio flag. I insist that it's okay to say the state of Kentucky, the state of Virginia, the state of Massachusetts, and so forth. There because, are fifty states because they are indeed states. We we are not the United Forty Six States and Four Commonwealths <laughs> of America. Although in Canada, you know, there are. 13 territories and provinces sure. and they lump them all together. You and don't... it would be incorrect to say that none of it was a province. Like right in there, you're a province or a territory. Northwest territories is a territory, not a province. But in the U S all the States are States. They're states. A few of them also put on airs and put Commonwealth in their name, but it is not incorrect to say state of Kentucky. Wow. Okay. Go on record, Ken. How, what about first class cities versus uh, home rule cities? How do you stand on that? Boy, don't get me started on that thing. I just found out about. Entry 1368.ez2046. Certificate number 27330. Union Dixie. Great grocery store chain. I always go to you. Because of Union Dixie, this was about the... Um, the patriotic northern lyrics that were added right. to Dixie to try to stick it to the south. We got a couple of uh, interesting bits of correspondence on this. One is from Natasha, who, um, speaking of a— Is writing from St. Petersburg, Russia. Speaking of a land of contrast, yeah. <laughs> Boris and Natasha say, no, Natasha is a Civil War reenactor, okay. but also wanted to send us links to TikTok. So apparently Natasha is a, maybe a Gen Z Civil War— <laughs> Reenactor and apparently a, a progressive Civil War reenactor because she apparently has lots to say about uh, 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 flying the fake Confederate flag. You know the. You know. I, I am not aware of a fake Confederate flag. Tell me more. Well, you know how the stars and bars are actually not the Confederate oh, flag. Right, They're right, the right, Army right. of Northern Virginia that was sure. popularized as a post-war clan, and then Jim Crow era thing. Uh, it's not clear to me what. Uh, what Natasha's take on all this is, but her letter uh, is apparently from a progressive Gen Z Civil War reenactor, right? Okay, who wants us to know that the un- the new Union lyrics to Dixie, which we discussed in the entry, uh, became a TikTok trend earlier this year due to a popular remix. Oh, she associates it with the election. I'm not sure if uh, like remixed over Old Town Road. Well, let's hear it. Oh, you've got it. Away down south in the land of traders, rattlesnakes and alligators. Right away, come away, right away, come away. It seems like it might be one of the popular kind of '50s versions of these lyrics by Tennessee Ernie Ford or whoever. But again, with the with the robotic beat added. It does sound like Tennessee Ernie Ford. I think, I think if I remember the entry right, it may actually be his cover of it. 
But apparently this was a viral TikTok sensation around the time of the election, maybe because it's got a sticking it to the sticking it to some of your Trump states vibe to it. I don't well, know. You know, it's very popular on Twitter to uh, to say things to the effect that um, every time you fly the battle flag of the Confederacy, you're really celebrating losers. Lol. Ha ha ha. Losers. Ha ha ha. The, uh, but if you had asked me which of which recent omnibus topic was most likely to become a viral TikTok sensation, I don't think I would have started with the union lyrics to Dixie. I read an article just recently that said that TikTok is becoming a Generation X uh, congregating place. Oh, we kicked out the young people? Well, or just that it's very... The same way the boomers <clears throat> kicked us out of Facebook? Yeah, there's some kind of Gen X uh, logic to TikTok because we all are just still... Um, ineffectual losers and TikTok <laughs> like is, the Confederacy. is a perfect place for us to go and just have no record of our of our whinging. I don't remember what the article said because I'm from Generation X. I just skimmed it and then scoffed at it. The only thing I know about TikTok comes from my Gen Z kids. So right. I don't... I Are they no already idea. over it? Have they moved on? Uh, I, they don't like when I'm interested in it. So maybe that means they're still invested in it. Okay. I'm not sure. I'm going to get an OnlyFans where I sit and talk in my brown butter voice and see if it, and, and start wearing my brown pajamas. You just read the lyrics to, uh, to, to All-Star. <laughs> to the new Dixie. In different languages. Yeah, in Aramaic. Yeah, you read the Union Dixie lyrics in Aramaic. We also heard from Zach from Maryland who has some... Border state. Yeah, well, some border state specific takes on it. Uh, for example, we noted that um, there was a lyric in the Union Dixie about uh, Baltimore. I wish I was in Baltimore. I'd make secession traders roar. Mm. Uh, Zach feels that's almost certainly a reference to the Baltimore riots of 1861, which was kind of a border state skirmish that predated Fort Sumter, where local, you know, pro Southerners attacked the the Union troops stationed there. Um, so that's probably why the lyrics reference Baltimore and not, you know, you or I would assume it would be Richmond or something. Right. right? Um, he also said, I guess, you note that there is a, uh, you know, there are other extra verses to the national anthem and we only sing the first one. And the third verse is actually relevant here. Um, because at the end it says, I mean, it's kind of a, a bummer, I think, but at the end it says, no refuge could save the hiring and slave from the terror of flight or the gloom of the grave. Francis Scott Key was a Maryland slaveholder, and I guess the current academic thinking is that he's referring to slaves who had escaped and then enlisted with the British in the War of 1812. Um, so, you know, how, how bad are our British enemies? They're even... Harboring. Fight, fighting with our, our escaped property. Right. Um, so we don't sing the third verse Canceled. anymore. Um, and like, apparently this came up on the... I was I was almost going to mention this when you brought it up, but that's actually the... Uh, that verse not being sung anymore is the MacGuffin of an Isaac Asimov mystery story I read when I was a kid where uh, a traitor is found out in World War II because, you know, it's kind of the trope of the guy who... who doesn't know who Joe DiMaggio is or something. Right. In this case, it's somebody who knows too much. They're playing a word association game, and, and one of them says, the terror of flight, and the other one says, the gloom of the grave. And he knows that guy must be the, the Nazi spy because he knows the lyrics to the unsung third verse. That no American would know? Exactly. Wow. No, you know, like, it's the kind of thing you would train a fake American but no actual American would know oh. would know those lyrics. It's like holding up your your 
thumb as part of a three finger order for beer. I mean, that verse got dropped out of the, um, the, the hymn book that's used in Mormon meetings actually has patriotic songs in it for, you know, for, I guess, meetings on 4th of July or other patriotic well, Mormonism holidays. is the great American religion. And that's, you know, it does really tie in with our, and our attempt to embrace a showy American patriotism to keep as your, it, keep from getting thrown down a well. Yeah, it's yeah. it's our kind of integrationist post polygamy bona fides. Uh-huh. Um, but when no, the, no, no, we're Americans. We're Americans. We love America Please so don't invade Utah. much. In fact, <laughs> we're birchers now. Um, and I thought maybe that verse had been dropped from the new hymnal because it says their blood has washed out their foul footsteps pollution. Maybe it's a little vivid for a gods. kind of a vivid wartime imagery for a church service. But yeah, maybe it's the slavery reference. I didn't even think about that. So anyway, if you're ever playing word association with somebody, do not have any knowledge of the extra verses of um, Star Spangled Banner. Or you will be branded as a Mavian Nazi. You will get shot against a fence. Entry 514.PP0203. Certificate number 25968. Games Buddha wouldn't play. Just real quickly, Mike wrote in to wonder uh, if hockey is the only allowable sport under Buddha's rules because... Yeah. I'm, Go on, Mike. I'm, well, he, I, I assume it's because, if I remember right, ball games are uh, verboten. Right. But puck games, he's thinking, are... A puck is not a ball, I guess. I don't know if the Buddha's on record about this. Puck is not a ball. Can when you play Pong, are you playing with a ball or a puck? Are you talking about Pong like the video game Pong? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That's a ball. A puck would not bounce off the paddles to such a... Would it not? I don't believe so. If you had... A, are the paddles not just hockey sticks? Oh, you think the paddles are hockey sticks? Well... I mean, to me, pong connotes rackets and a table, like a, like ping pong. Right, but it, but you pong, think you, You've always imagined the pong ball sliding across a floor. It's two-dimensional. There's no sense of the pong ball lofting all games are two-dimensional <laughs> that's all, not true especially of that era what about what about uh, three-dimensional chess <laughs> wait you're right they did have three-dimensional chess didn't they <laughs> so the buddha let's see he eliminates games on boards with eight or ten rows hockey does have boards you can smash somebody into the boards okay that's true but they don't have eight but or the, ten rows but the game isn't on the board no uh, imaginary versions of same games of marking diagrams on the floor such that the player can walk on certain places now that's a good question mm. do the lines on a hockey court that the, on a hockey rink that determine where faceoffs are held and also icing and side goal to uh, I mean, you start on one stuff. side and can't go to the other side until... It's got a blue line. Is the blue line a marking right. such that the player can only walk on? There is offside, so... But there's no walking. Right. Okay. Good point. Good point. And there's no crease that... I mean, players can enter the crease, right? Yeah. Uh, so All I, right. Let's throw that one out. Games where players remove pieces from a pile or add pieces to it. I don't think that applies here. Unless you're pulling uh, guys off of a pile that was the the um, the result of a giant fight. Well, that's my main question. Just jumping to the chase. Obviously, no, this hockey does not have dice. Dipping the fingers, uh, the hand with the fingers stretched out in lack. Uh, a toy pipe, a toy plow, a toy windmill, palm leaves, toy carts, toy bows. Guessing at letters traced in the air. Guessing at thoughts. Uh, but it doesn't, despite all that, it seems to follow the letter of the law. And yet what game could be farther from the, the tranquil spirit of Buddhism than ice hockey? Right. Would, would the Buddha appreciate the, the aesthetic of hockey? I mean, it feels like, it, it, it feels like one of these things. It's like the, it's like literalism in the Supreme court. Are you going on what the Buddha said or are you going on what you 
presume the Buddha to have meant. Are you a Buddha originalist? Right. And I, I, I am not the Scalia of Buddha games. I'm going to say that we know what the Buddha meant. And he... He hated hockey. He doesn't like hockey. There you go, Mike. Thanks for writing in. Entry 505.2K0316. Certificate number 51668. The Folda Gap. You're going to enjoy this one. Well, now, wait a minute. All of the ones we've done today have all been my episodes. Have any of these been... Is that true? No, the Union Union Dixie was yours. That's true. There are a lot of these that were mine. Every other show was yours. And mine were all perfect and required no comment. Sometimes it's all your shows, and I feel neglected because it feels like nobody's even listening to my shows enough to have comments about it. But then this week, I have this... This uh, embarrassment of riches, and I'm kind of like, hey, lay off. So you can't win. Well, no, but nobody said anything like bad no. about the show. I they mean, just have things to. People were annoyed that I said the state of Kentucky. Well, they said things bad about you. That's what you want. Fine. Yeah, that's fine. So anyway, this is the full the gap, and you were about to say something. Uh, you're going to enjoy this. We heard from uh, a listener, a German listener named Thomas, another German who was a conscripted soldier in the German Air Force in the late '80s. Oh, exciting! And was posted to a NATO installation. Uh, Go on, Thomas. Uh, air surveillance installation. He can corroborate the high tensions of that period at, at what was presumed to be the the choke point between East and West. Right. Um, but he, he pointed out something interesting, which is from his point of view, it was not just external tensions. There were also tensions between Germans and NATO regarding the Fulda Gap. Um, apparently he thought the German, the general idea in Germany at the time was that NATO had far too high a tolerance for this idea that uh, there should be a, there could be a hot war in central Europe. Uh, he was on duty during a NATO exercise in 1989 when they were doing a, a, a computer simulation of a Soviet invasion. I'm imagining the board in war games here, as I'm sure you are. Right. Uh, Destiny and Power. Oh. Tom Meacham. The Kindle ebook is $14.99. Boy, what a free plug we just gave to that book. I'm going to say yes. Yes! Buy me that! No! <laughs> Stop! Too late. Order placed and added to our Kindle library. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! Wait, is it too late to cancel this? No, I think it's all right. We'll just we'll just explain it to Ariella. <laughs> I hope she likes that book. Yeah, me too. Okay, don't say don't say the c word. Got it. Um. <laughs> wow. Can I just buy anything right now? I think you might owe Ari fourteen dollars, or however much that was. Can I just yell anything and it'll it'll buy yeah, it for just her? Just be like one thousand rolls of duct tape. When I was, uh, when Mindy and I were engaged, you know, they give you the little gun at Target you can use to put things on your registration. Oh, I did not know this. Yeah, they give you like a little gun. And of course, I'm like a kid in a candy store. I'm like zapping a box of tampons or whatever. And I thought I was hilarious. And really, that's not the funny, that's not the funny item. Like if I were doing it today, maybe like a single, a single issue of Fortune magazine or or something from the the newsstand. (laughs) That would would be funny. Would be a funnier thing to put on a wedding. Reese's peanut butter cups. But I had a pretty rudimentary sense of humor. You were just a kid. So I was just putting feminine (laughs) feminine hygiene items on our our registry. But I could do the same thing here with with Ari's Amazon list. Let's not do that. I'm I'm afraid that I'm going to get yelled at. The... um, and of course, we'll bleep out the part there where we said her Amazon name. <laughs> yeah. Mark Miles will take care of, of anonymizing that part of the show. Um, back to Thomas. 
He says, I don't remember the details, but the result was the people who had programmed the Soviets in this simulation had outfoxed the NATO generals. So the Soviets were did, did very well. In Made this it in. Exercise. They got all the way to Frankfurt. Yes. As a result, NATO had to offer an all-out use of nukes to stop this Soviet land invasion of Germany. Needless to say, the German troops taking part of the simulation were shocked by this escalation, yeah. as you would expect, since it would have ended all life in Central Europe. <laughs> I do expect that. Those maneuvers usually lasted three to five days, but this time the Germans didn't want to play anymore. They shut down the simulation. They Basically, they took their ball and went home. This is the greatest story I've ever heard. Can you imagine? They're like, okay, all right, all right, all right. Start all the, over. All the NATO bosses are like, well, okay, let's launch the missiles. And the Germans are like, wait, 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 what? No. <laughs> this is this hey, is really the plan? Hey, sorry, no, we're, we're this is what we do. We launch the missiles. The Germans are like, Venz- the exercise is over. Yeah. Um, no, thank you. This story is fantastic. The Germans were... We're not into this strategy, which would end with the end of Germany if uh, if the Foldy Gap was breached. So much that they that they were like, well, if this was a real war, we would also quit. Yeah, but at that point, it's too late. Like, do they have any access to the silos? No, right? Like, y- at that point, everybody quits. I think the only winning move is not to play. <laughs> I know, right? Casper <laughs> Weinberger is standing there with the button, going like, "Wait a minute." Uh, you're Germany, we're America, you don't get a vote. Wow, that's crazy, but also totally believable. And also, it it just, it, it's, it harkens to memories of a pre-internet world where something like that could happen, and it just, it was a local news story? Or, I mean, how... I mean, I was fo- I was following the I, news. I, I wonder if word never got out. Like, yeah. I wonder if this is something only the chain of command would know, that the Germans were disgruntled about how um, Operation Belt Loop went in 1989. Yeah, all these German soldiers were in the local taverns going, you're not going to believe what happened today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we were all going to die, so yeah, we, just, we just took a, took a long weekend. <laughs> Drinks are on Friedrich. Entry 836.MT0208. Yeah, you're yawning during the intro. It's a big yawn, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bleep that out. I want that to be the the record. Yeah, this is a lively, lively, lively show. Yeah, that people well, are gonna be super into it. Certificate number three two seven six two. The next Dalai Lama. Uh, I guess at some point during this uh, entry, I said that meditation was not a good fit for me because my mind always just seemed too active. Oh boy. I bet you got a lot of letters from helpful people. I got a letter from, yeah, the letter you'd expect from a helpful uh, meditation facilitator. Saying, you know, an active mind is exactly who would benefit most from, is that, did I get it right? That is what Yale tells me. Um, This is not, I should not consider that to be a barrier of meditating. And as you say, you know, if mindfulness is a, is an important part of the meditative state, then Somebody with an a- active mind jumping all over is actually ahead of the game. Sure. So, you know, that's, that's the kind of person who should be able to make a conscious choice to, you know, as Yale puts it, let your mind go off on your own while you choose to focus on your breath. It's a terrible thing to waste one's mind. Uh, she also says that um, mindfulness practice has been proven to reduce cognitive decline so beginning a daily meditation now could help me star on shows like The Chase even as I get older. You know, we were talking about this at the beginning of the show today that we are both starting, starting to forget what words mean. And you, I think you or, can or hear to it. take in, our pills. I think you can hear it in my shows a lot better than in your shows where I just start to say words and then it's a word salad by the end of the sentence. 
We usually re-record that blah, 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 blah. But what Yale is saying is that meditating <laughs> might... Might make me better on game shows. Smarter, faster, able to leak capital T's in a single bound. But again, like going back to the Buddha and hockey, doesn't this seem like it's not in the spirit of Eastern religion? Yeah, I'm getting really into meditation now so I can, uh, you know, defeat people on game shows more readily. Well, that's the thing. It feels very much like a new age take on Eastern religions where it's like, you know what? It's like a pro- prosperity gospel. I'm going to use Buddhism. these ancient practices, but <laughs> it's going to make me, it's going to hone me, bro. I'm going to be so good in the boardroom and the bedroom. Yeah. Sound of gongs. Oh, there is one more note on this, and this is maybe the most important note of all, and I don't know what to make of this. You recall when we got the note um, telling us we were now Kentucky colonels. Yep, yep. And, uh, Do I ju- recall it? I wear that medal every day. And we just had to activate our Kentucky colonelcy. And what that means is, you know, we'll send you a patch or something, but you should really give us $100 for the pancake breakfast. Right. And you and I both did. Yes, we, we did. Are, we are now proud uh, donors and card-carrying activated members of the the state of Kentucky's proud— Kentucky colonels. I was in Kentucky, but at no point did I try to take advantage of my colonelship. I was going to ask. No, I didn't. I should have at the Paducah Motel said, is there a discount for Kentucky colonels? <laughs> there probably is. Don't you think there's a suite? Uh, we'll we'll oh, take the colonel's suite. Why didn't I get the colonel's suite? <laughs> I doubt there's a suite at the Comfort Inn. I definitely saw a license plate or a license plate surround that said colonel, Kentucky colonel. Would you it. get a Kentucky colonel's license plate surround and drive it around Seattle? It's a little tricky in the cult- in the culture wars uh, being what they are. Yeah, I don't think that that it would play in Seattle. Nobody would understand what the you know Kentucky Colonel. It just sounds bad to uh, to an ear that is attuned to the dialect of the chop. Apparently, so we now have a similar offer. Apparently, uh, you and I have uh, adopted an elephant. Oh, go on. We have adopted uh, Esoit, a uh, a young Kenyan elephant. Oh, where does Esoit live currently? I'm going to say... In Kenya? Kenya. Oh. The, well, the Sheldrick Wildlife Trust is um, headquartered in Nairobi. What does our adoption entail? Well, it appears to be, well... Do we get to take uh, Edric on the uh, the Wuppenthal Schwerberbahn? <laughs> yes, you can throw... Once you adopt an elephant, you can throw it off the monorail of your choice. Well, no, it jumped, uh, you know... Uh, Tootsie jumped on her own. We mentioned uh, at some point, I think in this Dalai Lama show, an elephant-based religion. Mm-hmm. And a um, listener named Meg says that she's been fostering an elephant named Moktau through the Sheldrick Wildlife Trust for a few years. And uh, it's you've seen this kind of philanthropic exercise where they they put a name on your funding. Yes. And as a result, you get a series of updates about the village you dug the well for, or the family you gave the goat to, mm-hmm. or the um, uh, the embroidery stall you upgraded the uh, signage of. Um, in this case, adopting, I got the name wrong, Esoit. Mm-hmm. Yes, that can't be right. I, I can't imagine just being in Africa and meeting someone named Esoit. Esoit? I don't know. Esowit. Apparently, we get a monthly email update about uh, Esowit, the orphaned elephant uh, calf. We get an exclusive monthly watercolor. It's exclusive. Nobody else is getting watercolors of, of Esowit. And uh, other photos and videos. Um, uh, Meg says that Meg has chosen young Esowit for us to mold. Oh, how wonderful. Oh, wait a minute. We get to mold Esowit? Yeah, I wonder what, what particular qualities of us and, uh, and of Esowit that, that Meg thought were particularly compatible. 
Well, you know, for a long time, I had uh, as one of my bookmarks the uh, elephantartgallery.com, which is um, uh, they sell paintings made by elephants. But is this, uh, are we supposed to be on the side of this or not? Well, it's hard to know, but you, you well, you're know, not supposed to write on them, for example. Are we supposed to buy their, their gallery work? Well, you know, they, you give them some paint and some brushes and the elephant sits and does paintings. I, I've seen this, but, but they don't do it in the wild. Uh, they don't do it in the wild, no, but they are, a, they are available they, for sale. They and, appear to enjoy it. Yeah. It's, I just, I know it's fundraising for zoos and conservancies and stuff. I just don't know if it's, um, if currently there would be literature yelling at me if I were to support it. Oh, I see. And because, because they're giving paints to the elephants and then they're, these elephants don't want to paint. Then they're lashing them and saying, paint, damn you paint. These aren't as good as your earlier period. How the hell are we going to keep the lights on? You (laughs) bastards. Um, That doesn't even look like a girl. So apparently if we were, this is a a Kentucky colonelcy like, I don't want to say a racket, but business model. Okay. (laughs) Where we would activate this adoption and then it's like an elephant Patreon or, or, uh, or Elephatreon where mm-hmm. we get exclusive content. Um, shall we see what, um, should we see what SO it costs? Yeah, let's do. I mean, I just bought, uh, I just bought your family a, a $14 book, so I, I don't have a ton of cash right now. We appreciate it. <laughs> I'm choosing my SO it password here. If this really is a photo of Esuit, um, he or she is just a darling elephant. Oh, uh, like a like a like a young elephant. Yes, I think the idea is. I don't. I mean, I don't know how old Esuit is. This is the kind of update we would probably need to activate to get. Oh, let's read updates specific to our adopted orphans. In July of this year, this is the Nairobi nursery unit. Oh, there's an update on everyone. Laro continues to be an exceptional mini-mini. This is like a family Christmas letter. Kendani, Bondani, and Kinney remain best friends and oh, the fun trio of the nursery. That's sweet. I'm, I'm uh, searching for Esowit. Oh, little Esowit, our newest rescuer, our newest rescue has settled in incredibly well. He is such a self-assured, cheerful young bull, just like you. Yeah. While he has made a lot of friends within the herd, Roho, his nighttime neighbor, remains his favorite companion. I mean, this is probably whitewashed a little. If Esso and Rojo ever did fight, you know it's not going to make it into the right the uh, supporter update. Esso and Rojo got into a big scrape lately. Their games often begin the moment they exit their stables and the morning continue for the rest of the day. Fueled by his confidence, Esso is always eager to play with Mokoka and Naboishu. Oh, that is classic Naboishu. Yeah, we're going to have to put one of those down, though, unfortunately. Because <laughs> no. They have, they have elephant scurvy. No. They're all doing great, John. These older bulls pay him special attention, even naughty Naboishu. Oh, 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 wait. No, look. This is actually a very fair-minded look at the herd, who remains a menace during milk feeding times. So we're seeing a works okay. and all look at Naboishu. Okay. Um, look, I think we need to accept our adoption of, of Esowit and maybe even become contributors to the Nairobi nursery unit, because these elephants are just darling when you look I'm, at these pictures. I'm pretty thrilled by it. Uh, thank you, Meg, we, for um, bringing the Sheldrick Wildlife Trust to our attention, and especially uh, Esowit's um, rambunctious uh, 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 playing mm-hmm. <laughs> with Rojo and the gang. Mm-hmm. Um, we will definitely become uh, supporters. Uh, this is uh, because we made the mistake of mentioning elephants once on the show, I guess. Don't ever do it again. <laughs> Who knows what else will happen the next time we mention a different species. <laughs> Entry 467.EC0306. 
Certificate number 23621, Fiji's Declaration of Independence. So in this particular entry, Fiji lost its Declaration of Independence. Right. We heard from, you're going to like this too, we heard from Jonas, I assume it's presumed, in Denmark, who wants to tell us he is absolutely assured that Denmark's founding documents will never be lost. Like it would literally take a, a, a nuclear disaster to wipe out Denmark's founding documents. Because Denmark's founding documents are? The first recorded mention of the nation of Denmark is a 10-foot-tall runestone in Yelling, Denmark, where, from where Jonas hails. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called the Yelling Stone. It's with a J, but it's called the Yelling Stone. Um, it's placed between two massive burial mounds. Uh, one is belonging to Gorm the Old and the other to his wife, Tira. Um, you have probably never heard of them, but the monument was built them by their royal son, whom, of whom you have heard, Harold Bluetooth. Old Harold Bluetooth. I've heard of Gorm, too, but, you know, I'm the rare guy that knows a little bit about everything. You're Gorm conversant. Yeah. Uh, Gorm does not have a wireless communications protocol name for him, so I'm not aware. And so, hmm. And so, uh, what you're telling me is that the Danish uh, foundation document is a runestone that's 10 feet tall? 10 foot tall stone. Um in Jonas's telling, the mounds were a big part of the fabric of their lives. And uh, growing up in Yelling in the 80s and 90s, in Yenex, in Yenex Yelling, uh, in the winter, they were actually bobsledding slopes. I guess that's not disrespectful to Gorm and Tira to sled down their, uh, nope. their burial, uh, what do you call them, barrows or, or mounds or whatever? Uh, that's what you do at a Danish funeral. You bobsled down over the grave. You put the corpse on a bobsled. Mm-hmm. You push the bobsled down the mound. And I guess it was the, you know, instead of a convenience store parking lot, this that's where local teens would hang out, uh, drink and hook up and uh, get into fights. It's very poetic in, in uh, Jonas's phrasing, make up and make out. Oh. Okay, that's cute. And so young lovers would sneak off from the, from the fights and the revelry um, to find a quieter place. The only problem is there, uh, there weren't that many things you could lean against if you, for whatever reason, needed something to lean on. Oh, yeah. Uh, you can lean on me. <laughs> you can. But let's say me has uh, – I'm, I'm in a position where balancing is difficult. I might need a different object for the two of us to lean on. Right. Uh, there were a few trees and there were a couple of large gravestones, but the most promising backing for these kinds of, uh, of uh, liaisons was the yelling stone. So this was like a kissing place. The founding document of uh, of uh, Denmark. The co- I, I, then there were cobblestones by the feet of it, which means you couldn't kind of be in a prone or seated position. You know, anything you wanted to do would have to be standing against the yelling stone. I'm starting to see what this story is all about. You know, I don't think of like where do I lean as a as a. That's not a thing I take into consideration when I sketch out a spot or when I'm at it when I'm at a location. There's no leaning spots around here. But what if you were with a a, a yeah. young a young man or lady, depending on your predilections? That's right, and I wanted to. At that point, you might need a yeah have a thing against which to lean them. Exactly. I think we all understand what's going on here. So uh, apparently, you know, it sounds like just an a, epidemic of teen pregnancy as a result of Denmark's fine ten foot tall. Declaration of Independence. Well, it also sounds a little phallic to begin with, so it's an ins- it's inspirational. I guess or aspirational. I mean, not for a not for a young pair of teenage lesbians. Let's be inclusive here, right? Of course. Uh, Although, who knows? The phallus does not 
does not not have a role in lesbian relationships. It's up to them. Unfortunately, I can speak about it with any authority. This has a sad ending, I'm afraid. Oh, Uh, no. Yeah. uh, Turns out it it caught on fire and burned. (laughs) No, nothing will destroy it, short of nuclear cataclysm, according to Jonas. But unfortunately, in the early 2000s, a teenage tourist, I like how he blames just some visiting Swede or something, some German dickhead, uh, ruined it for everyone by tagging the stone and the church door next door with a can of green spray paint. What? What a um, tourist thing to do. I know. Not the, really, though. The National Museum gets, well, I, I don't know. It seems like something that a Danish teen would do. <laughs> I got to say, I've been wandering a lot of tourist places, and I've seen all the uh, American and uh, Chinese and whatnot carved into the into the wood. Tourists yeah. are always wrecking havoc. I suppose that's true. Maybe the tourists gave themselves away by, by spray painting, like, L.A. Rams. <laughs> <laughs> or, or. Go Mets. Mount Fuji. <laughs> Anyway, this attracted the attention of the National Museum, and as a result, they had to encase the stone in a glass box and kind of gentrify the whole area. So it was no longer a cool local teen hangout, but more of a more of a shrine. Unfortunately. Well, it's like Plymouth Rock, right? They they had to cover it over with the. That's exactly what I told Jonas. I said our founding rock is so lame that nobody would ever even. It would be too dispiriting to try to make out on it, you know. Yeah, can you imagine getting down there, under there, in the middle of the night, trying to make out on Plymouth Rock? I guarantee no little pilgrims have been conceived on Plymouth Rock. Now that I think about it, it's actually probably a thing. (laughs) You think? Is it the most patriotic place to sire a child? To to do it on top of Plymouth Rock? I guarantee you there are Plymouth Rock babies out there, and I would like to hear from them. They're all named Plymouth. Actually, Dwayne the Rock Johnson is named for the fact that he was conceived on on Plymouth Rock by his wrestler father. Rock Hudson... Rocky Balboa. All of them. To a man. Uh, Anyway, Jonas points out that, you know, not many people can claim to have climbed, urinated, vomited on, or engaged in heavy petting against their country's founding document. But it's in yelling Denmark. It's a normal night on the town. That's a a lovely, uh, lovely picture. You know, history coming alive for for these kids. You know, here in front of the Seattle Asian Art Museum are those giant camels that, um, that when my dad was a kid were the original camels that they would climb on. And then they got tired of these uh, of kids climbing on their ancient stone camels and they made fake camels. So my daughter has only climbed on a, on a replica camel. And the real camels are hidden somewhere. I get mad when I'm in a museum and they have like a dinosaur skeleton or a, a giant ceramic vase or whatever. And then it says it's a replica. Yeah. Like, Come on. What does this do? Why don't you put it in the parking lot if why, it's a replica? Why, why, I don't need to see something shaped like a dinosaur skeleton. I can make something shaped like a dinosaur. If you don't have a real dinosaur skeleton, I'm, I don't care. Yeah, what am I doing here even? But in this case, if, you're, if kids are climbing on it, I'm actually in favor of hiding the real camel. I love that the Danes left their runestone just out to be uh, snogged against until very recently. Because here in Seattle, like the Seattle Outdoor Art Museum... They hire, there's 50 people wandering around in, in uh, blue blazers ready to yell at you if you look at the art sideways. And some of the art there is actually by the artist, if I remember the journalism on this, right? The, by the artist's own intent, it's kind of meant to be touched. It's, yeah. it's tactile sculpture. It's why I made this thing to be put outside. And yet, you know, run your hands along it as you walk by, and yet the signs are all like, uh, you've got skin oil on your hands, weirdos. Yeah, do not Stay touch away the from the calder. As someone who has walked up to the art and breathed upon it, I can attest that there are blue blazer people hiding in the bushes. They will suddenly materialize and go, don't breathe on the art. Don't enjoy the art. It's like the rain, it's, the rain is falling. 
How is my breath worse than God's own tears? I think there's actually some possible answers to that, but I don't want to hear. And that concludes Omnibus Addenda, Volume 22. Futurelings, we thank you for your financial pledges that have made this monumental project possible. We hope that access to these important addenda items has validated your decision to support the Omnibus. It is vitally important that you attach these updates to the original recordings you discovered in their proper context for the convenience of future browsing by your civilization. We hope that our civilization survives long enough for us to provide you with future addenda to the Omnibus.